Welcome to episode six of Exploring the Calf. I'm your host, Kyra Nankaval, and I'm joined here today by Petty Officer Second Class Fraser. But before we dive into the interview, I just want to announce a few quick things. First of all, the Facebook group. If you're not in it already, get in there. It's a really unique community of aspiring members and current members. We have a lot of great conversations, and it's a good resource for asking your questions. The link is in the description below. Secondly, Calf Clothing Store is a new brand for military merchandise. And they're doing a giveaway on Instagram and Facebook at calfclothingstore.ca. So check that out if you haven't already. And lastly, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I certainly have. Um, I don't have any Air Force personnel on my show, and I would love to. So if anyone knows anyone who is in the Air Force and would be interested in doing an interview, please let me know. You can contact me directly in the Facebook group or at the explore.calf Instagram account. Now let's carry on with the conversation. So like I said, we have Petty Officer Second Class Fraser here today. I'll let him introduce himself by unit and occupation and any other details that you want to share. Go ahead. Hello, Kyra. Thanks for having me on the show today. Um, I am Petty Officer Second Class James Fraser. I joined the Naval Reserve in 2005 as a musician. I've been serving since then, so around 17 years. I did 10 years part-time as a reservist, and then I took a full-time position here, a Class B contract, we call it, um, as the unit recruiter. And I've worked in recruiting, I've worked as a military career counselor, and I've worked in public affairs, a lot of different roles, um, full-time for the last seven years. Incredible. So obviously he has a wealth of experience. Like you said, he's had various roles in his unit as a musician, recruiter, BMQ instructor, some work in public affairs and he's also a fellow youtuber and his channel is at prairie sailor so check that out he has very good high quality videos as you can see by his amazing setup right now <laughs> okay so you are in the navy and where's your unit what is your unit and where is it my unit is hmcs chippewa that's his majesty's canadian ship chippewa in winnipeg manitoba and as you mentioned i do have a youtube channel and it's called the prairie sailor channel and the reason I highlight that it's the Prairie Sailor is because it's a Navy base uh, in the center of the continent and the prairies, which is kind of interesting. So a lot, a big part of my job is just telling people that, yes, there is a Navy in the prairies and why we're here and what we do. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that is super interesting. When I first heard that you served out in Manitoba, I was a little bit confused because you're landlocked out there. And what occupations does your unit have or offer? We have a lot of occupations here. So that's kind of one of the differences between, in my experience anyway, between the Army Reserve and the Naval Reserve. Uh, in the Army Reserve, in Winnipeg at least, and I'm sure similar in other cities, there are several units and some of the units specialize in, in certain occupations. So there'll be like an, an infantry division, there'll be an artillery division, there'll be a, a signals regiment, things like that. So each unit kind of specializes in certain occupations. Uh, in the Naval Reserve, we just have one Naval Reserve division per city that will have all the different occupations working together um, in the same unit. So I can list them quickly. I hope I don't forget any because there's a lot. We, we have for seagoing trades for non-commissioned members, we have Bosun, Naval Communicator, Naval Combat Information Operator, Marine Technician, uh, we also have a port inspection dive team here in Winnipeg. So we have port inspection divers. We have a band here in Winnipeg, so you can be a musician. That's how I started out. Um, and then we have support occupations like human resources administrator, 
financial services administrator, we have cooks, uh, we have materials management technicians, and then we have officer occupations. So we have naval warfare officer, which is a leadership role in, in the Navy. And then we have logistics officer, intelligence officer, public affairs officer. We have a uh, director of music, who's like the leader of the band, that's a musician officer. For like every single occupation that we hire other than musician, you'll be trained from square one. Musicians, you gotta already be able to play your instrument. Um, yeah, so there's lots of different opportunities uh, for the Naval Reserve here in Winnipeg and across Canada. Yeah, I didn't even realize there was that many occupations, to be honest, like in the Navy, let alone the Naval Reserve, because I feel like the Navy is one of those elements that you don't hear too much about. Um, obviously, a lot of the Hollywood films are about the Army, and so that's what we're kind of used to. So it's really interesting to hear that perspective. Um, so I wanted to get into like how your unit trains. Um, so how do you do, how do you conduct training and exercises in the prairies? Yeah, really good question. So we work on an annual training cycle uh, from September until May. We call it our, our training year. And it kind of mirrors uh, the university schedule because we have a lot of members who are students. Um, so in September, we kick off our training year and we work two evenings per week. Uh, Tuesday nights are what we call training nights, where the entire ship's company, everybody who works here, uh, comes into work. And then that's from 7 to 10 p.m. And then on Thursday nights, we have what we call administration nights, which is more uh, leadership officers, senior members in departments to kind of plan and organize the training uh, and do all the administration to make sure that we're, we're all set for upcoming events and following Tuesdays. Uh, then we have uh, exercise training, where we will do, as I mentioned, some of the things that we can do here in the prairies. We do our weapons handling, so we'll have our range weekends, our first aid course on the weekend. Uh, we do a lot of small boat handling exercises because we do have uh, the Red and Assiniboine rivers here in Winnipeg, so we can train for uh, flood fighting, flood response, uh, small boat handling on fast-moving waters, things like that. We also have the dive team, as I mentioned, so we do a lot of dive exercises. Um, we'll go out to the many lakes uh, here in Manitoba. Actually, the dive team went up to Churchill, Manitoba this year, which was really cool, diving in the Arctic. Um, we do winter dives. We'll do ice dives. We'll actually cut a hole through the ice, uh, set up tents in the middle of the lake and dive under the ice. Uh, so we do a lot of cool training here in Manitoba. And then, of course, we also need to travel to the coast, as I mentioned. So we will do uh, we call them NRETs or national and region, regional exercise training um, on either coast in Victoria and Halifax are the two regular force Navy bases in Canada. And we will fly out maybe on a Thursday or Friday, um, try not to miss too much work or school and do a, a training exercise over the weekend on the coast, like an orca sail or other things like that, getting out on the ocean and then flying back back on Monday or Tuesday, back to school, back to work, uh, doing the best we can to get some, uh, get our sailors out to the coast to get some, some training on the water. That sounds incredible, to be honest. And with all this travel, are we, are members covering the cost of that travel or is the unit covering cost of that travel? Who's paying for all um, of those All flights? of the travel expenses are, are covered by the Canadian Armed Forces. So if you're a member, your, your flights, your accommodations, your food during any exercise training is all covered. Yeah. Right down to your that, cab to the airport, you can get refunded for, for getting your cab to the airport. So they take care of all the expenses. Sorry, I, I didn't talk about the summers. Uh, uh, that was what we do from September to May uh, because we have many people who have 
um, students full-time commitments. So we're doing evening and weekend training. In the summer, we do full-time training. So people will travel to the coast for longer periods of time. Uh, for example, if you're a, a Bose and a naval communicator or a naval combat information operator, there's going to be longer courses ranging from like five to 12 weeks um, where, you'll, where you'll be on the coast completing your qualification training so that you can increase your, your rank, et cetera, and progress in your career. And do you get paid for training? Yes. In the Canadian Armed Forces in general and definitely in the, the Naval Reserve, in my experience, all training is paid. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> so you mentioned that you went on exercise Prairie Sailor. Can you yes. just tell us a bit more about that exercise? So exercise Prairie Sailor is an annual exercise that we host here at HMCS Chippewa in Winnipeg. And it's focused on uh, small boat handling um, in brown water, we call it, but it is brown, the rivers, fast moving water, uh, because it's very different than having small boats on the ocean. Uh, so we, we focus on emergency response, uh, particularly flood fighting, because we have severe flooding in the prairies uh, in, in the springtime uh, quite often. So it's something that the armed forces has been called in to support uh, the provincial government uh, in the past in, in, in emergency flood response. So we have to make sure that we're prepared for that. And people actually fly to Winnipeg from the coast. So like I said before, usually people are, our people, prairie people are flying out to the coast to do Navy training. Uh, this is specialized training for handling small boats on, like I said, brown water, fast moving water on the rivers. So it's a different skill uh, than, than, than handling the boats at sea. So people actually come and we host a uh, regional and national exercise here, here in Winnipeg called Exercise Prairie Sailor. We do it each year in September. Okay, you mentioned diving a couple of times, which yes. I think is pretty interesting. So diving in the military seems very intense. Um, what responsibilities do these members actually have in the role? Like, why are they diving? Where are they diving for? What is, can you tell us yeah, more about question. that occupation? So we have three different, maybe more, but as far as I'm familiar with, three different types of, of divers in the Navy. And the ones that we have in the reserves are port inspection divers. So port inspection divers are Naval Reserve. Uh, and then there are clearance divers, which is what they have in the regular force. And then on ships at sea, we also have ships team divers. And it's a little bit confusing because a ships team diver is not actually an occupation in itself. You can be on the ship's dive team if you're a different occupation. You can get your dive qualification. And then uh, ships at sea will have some people qualified to do diving if they need it. And for a port inspection diver, one of their primary responsibilities is uh, making sure that the ports are, are safe for the ships and also doing some minor repairs or inspections for the hulls of the ships. So getting a ship out, out of the water into dry dock to do an inspection or repair on the hull is, a, is a, like a major endeavor, right? So if they can reduce that by sending some divers down under uh, to inspect the hull, any kind of minor repairs or, um, you know, back... Um, post-World War II and stuff like that, port inspection divers, it's, it's inspecting the port, making sure that there's no explosives, right? No explosive, unexploded things that have, you know, latched onto the ship or in the, in the port or the harbor, anything dangerous, uh, things like that. So they're inspecting the, the hull of the ship, they're inspecting the port and the harbor, they're making sure that everybody's safe. That is very, very interesting. I think if I joined the Navy, that's what I would like to do, because it sounds like something 
that, you know, there is, a, there might be a bit of a civilian equivalent in terms of people recreationally dive. And I'm sure there's probably a job for that too. Um, but to do it in the military and then get it all paid for and all that training would be really, really cool. And I'm sure you get to do some cool things and travel as well, as you've mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. As we're talking about this occupation, I was just thinking about recruiting because you're also a recruiter. So I know a lot of people in our community have questions about recruiting. A lot of people are trying to join. As you and I both know, permanent residents are now eligible to join Canadian Armed Forces. Yes. Um, What is the status on that? Or like how can they join right now? Right now, so as of, it was in November of 2022, they changed the policy. So we are accepting applications now and I've already received many uh, since we changed the policy. So um, the website has been updated that for the eligibility criteria, it's for reserves. You can join at 16 as long as you're still in school and you have uh, parental consent. So between 16 and 56 and you have to It used to say must be a Canadian citizen, and now it says must be a Canadian citizen or permanent resident. Um, So you, when you come in for your initial processing appointment, where you're going to be doing the fitness test and the aptitude test, like I mentioned before, you have to bring in all your identification documents and the permanent resident card, the PR card is now an acceptable um, identification document. You do not need the citizenship certificate. Awesome. And I saw um, quite a few comments on my YouTube just talking about, do you have to be a permanent resident for a certain amount of time first before you apply? No, you do not. If you have the card, you can apply. Okay, awesome. Good to know. And I've got that same question a bunch of times as well. Yeah. Can you give us an outline of the steps between being a civilian and being able to deploy? Like, what is the training in between there from a general sense, of course, because there are lots of different occupations. Yeah, great question. And it's going to be a long answer. Um, But well, let's take it through. So uh, the very first step for any occupation in any element is to complete the online application. And I have um, a a guide in one of my videos on my channel for for completing the online application. And once you complete that, you're going to want to select the biggest decision is if you're going uh, regular force or reserve, which is basically full time versus part time. There's lots of other differences as well that I get into in more detail in in other videos uh, and then deciding your element so army navy or air force and then breaking it down one step further and deciding your occupation and usually you can choose um, up to three occupations in order of preference so am i going full-time or part-time am i going army navy or air force and then your top three occupations and those are kind of the most important decisions to make when you're making your application and you can get lots of information from recruiters or on the website or from YouTube videos to help you learn about the different opportunities and kind of make your decision. And one other point I'll just make is that it once you apply, it is easy to change your preferences. So if you're not totally sure what you want and you're stressed about making a, a big decision, it's okay to put some things in there. And once you've initiated the application process, you get more information, you're talking to your recruiter, you can change your preferences. Um, So it's much easier to do that before you're enrolled, while you're in the application process, than after you're enrolled. So just keep in mind that you can update it as you're progressing. Um, The next thing that you're going to do is um, in the reserves, you have to complete the force evaluation, which is the uh, fitness test where you're going to be lifting sandbags, uh, running across the gym, doing all that stuff. We have information on that as well. Uh, Plenty of videos you can look up for more information on the force evaluation. You actually don't have to do that uh, if you're joining the regular force until you're a member. 
but for the reserves, you have to do it before you become a member in the application process. Then you're gonna be doing the aptitude test. And I know you know all about the aptitude test because you have a fantastic series of videos uh, past the CFAT uh, on your channel. And I actually recommend that series to my applicants. I say, check out these videos. This is the, the best resource out there for um, information on uh, passing the CFAT and making sure that you're prepared for the aptitude test. Um, so check out those videos, write your aptitude test. Um, that's the next step. And then there's just a ton of paperwork, of course, right? We're gonna ask you for uh, references, employment history, address history, all the things that we need to do your security clearance. Um, so we'll initiate your security clearance. And then there's the medical, which in every element does it a little bit differently, but in the Naval Reserves, I can tell you that we do not have medical staff at Naval Reserve divisions. So the medicals are still conducted at the Canadian Forces Recruiting Center, the same as for the regular force. So I always tell my applicants that to make sure that they go to the right place. It's just a few blocks down the road here in Winnipeg from the reserve base to the, to the Reg Force Recruiting Center, but that's where the medical is. And then uh, there's the interview. So I'm a military career counselor, so I conduct uh, entrance uh, eligibility and suitability interviews for the Naval Reserve. And those are all the steps. And typically, it can take kind of like three to six months, which does is a long time. It sounds like a long time, but it's a lot of appointments. Uh, there's a lot of steps. Uh, it takes time to get in for your medical. Uh, sometimes there needs to be follow-up appointments. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, but uh, it's it's worth the wait. So um, we'll help you out throughout the process and uh, good luck with applications to the Canadian Armed Forces. Awesome, that's really helpful. I think there's a lot of confusion around the application process sometimes. Um, so like you said, first of all, you have to apply online and then just follow the steps and the information that they give you and be patient as well. Yes. Be patient. There's a lot but of moving parts. Being patient is good advice, but my other advice is always squeaky wheel sometimes does get the grease. You know, we have a lot of applicants and I'm not saying that you should bug your recruiters and call them every day, but it doesn't hurt to send follow-up emails and phone calls because if I'm busy and I have a lot of applicants and the phone rings with the question, I will always answer it and help you out with your questions. So don't be shy to, to follow up and call your recruiters and ask for help. Uh, because uh, we're here to help you through the process and clear up any confusion there may be. Awesome advice. And how would someone find the contact information for a recruiter? That's a great question as well. There is, um, I'll, and I'll send you the link so you can put it in the description. There is a find your recruiting center tab on the forces.ca uh, webpage, and you can just enter your city or postal code, and it's going to give you a list of all the different divisions. And for Naval Reserve, it's the easiest because there's only one per city. So if you put in your city, it'll give you the one place you need to go. So it's a, it can be a little bit more complicated for Army because sometimes there's multiple different units and you got to get the right one. But for Navy, there's only one in each city. So not too hard to find your, your Navy recruiter. Awesome. Okay. And then, okay, so I applied. Now what happens? So if I, if I successfully pass the force test, if I'm doing reserves, and then the aptitude test, and I'm in, the medical's good, the interview's good, what happens then? Next is the enrollment ceremony. So if you meet all of the eligibility criteria and we have positions available in your occupation that you've selected, uh, you're going to be enrolled as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. And as soon as you're enrolled right away, you're gonna get uh, ready to go for your basic military qualification. Okay, awesome. So you have your basic and then I believe you have your trade, occupational training at some point, right? 
And, yes. and there is one thing in between there that I'll mention. Yep. Um, so basic military qualification is very general across the board. It's the same for Army, Navy, and Air Force. And then in most cases, um, each of the elements is going to have their own kind of supplemental training. I call it basic training round two for your elements. So in the Naval Reserve, we call it uh, Naval Environmental Training Program, NETP. Uh, and this is a five-week program that's done on the coast in Esquimalt next to Victoria, BC. So, um, and that is the same for all seagoing occupations. So I call it basic training round two. It's, it's for your elements. So in the Navy, it's firefighting on a ship, damage control, dealing with leaks, uh, floods inside the ship, uh, uh, skills, not tying all the skills you need to be a sailor at sea and then you'll go on to your occupational training so it's basic training environmental training and then your occupational training okay thank you for clearing that up so everyone you can you can see the clear pathway now into the canadian armed forces and once you're done your occupational training you have still some commitments to your unit correct so what do you what does it look like on kind of like a day-to-day -day after you have your occupational training like what do you actually do throughout the rest of the year yeah great question so um, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but kind of a typical um, career progression is you're going to be doing, like I said, your part-time training from September to May, and then your full-time training in the summer to do basic training, environmental training, occupational training, and all that could take an average of kind of two to four years to complete all your training and become qualified in your occupation. So what happens then? Great question. Well, Number one is that you can always continue training. There's always higher levels of training that you can do to specialize um, and increase your rank and all these things. So training continues for life in the military. It's, it's not over just when you meet the, uh, the, we call it the OFP operational functional point of uh, completing the basic skill set for your occupation. Um, so continuing training is number one. Number two is once you're qualified in your occupation, you can actually do short-term full-time employment contracts and this is actually kind of one of the points of the reserves even existing it's one of the things in our mission which is to support and augment the regular force so when there's a, a, a job that needs to get done we have trained reservists who can fill those roles so a great example is in the navy it's, it's pretty simple like they have a certain number of people that they need to run the ship at sea and if they need a couple of those spots they don't have enough reg force people they actually have uh, spots reserved for reservists to make sure that reservists can get on the job training at sea so they're going to say we need a qualified cook from this state to this state for a deployment and they'll send the message to like all the naval reserve divisions across canada we have a huge database of all these employment contracts that are available and if you're qualified you can apply for any of them so once you get trained you can pick and choose short-term full-time employment contracts to go to sea, to work at other training establishments in Canada, go on operations, whatever they may be. There's lots of lots of short-term full-time contract opportunities. So and is, yeah, go sorry, ahead. continue. No, go ahead, continue. I was just gonna say that that's one of the, one of the things that we can do. And you can even make a full-time career as a reservist by kind of stringing these short-term full-time contracts together one after the other, which is kind of what I've been doing. I've been working full-time for seven years. So yes, reserves is primarily part-time, uh, especially when you, when you first start, it's definitely going to be part-time. But as you progress in your career, you can actually make a full-time living out of being a part-time reservist, which is kind of cool. 
That is very cool. And that's all I was going to say is that's, that sounds like what you have done with your full-time, a full-time reservist, which I'm not sure if everyone knows that that actually exists because usually you think of it as full-time as reg force and then part-time as reserves. But yeah, there's different classes of contracts as well that you can take while you're in the reserves to make a full-time career out of it after you've had some training and uh, been in for a little bit. My next question is, what are some other benefits of joining the CAF? You've listed a few but are there any others that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, there's lots of benefits, of course. And one of the things that jumps out in my mind is just uh, a dental benefit. So um, I remember when I, when you turn 25 and you're not covered under your parents' insurance anymore, uh, the dentist becomes pretty expensive, right? Uh, so getting um, 90% dental coverage from a part-time job is something that's, uh, I think, pretty unique and a, a really, really good benefit. So you get covered for dental, even if you're only part-time. And the part-time we call Class A. And if you take one of those full-time, uh, short-term full-time contracts, we call that Class B. So in your Class A, you get certain benefits. And in your Class B, over 180 days, you get even more benefits. So I'm Class B over 180 days, and I get a wonderful benefit package, including like medical, dental, all the coverage for myself and my dependents, so my family. So uh, there's some benefits for, for Class A and even more benefits for Class B. So, But Class A, even with just a part-time job, you get dental coverage, which is really cool. And there's other things, like I mentioned, all the travel, um, all your travel expenses are covered for all training. Um, and probably one of the most popular benefits we have is the academic reimbursement program. So if you join uh, the Naval Reserve and you're a student, you can apply for academic reimbursement, which is a maximum of $8,000 that is available for tuition and books and any other costs associated with your education, um, which is 50% of your tuition um, up to $2,000 per year for a max of $8,000. So if you did like a four-year degree, you could get $2,000 per year for four years. I think one of the best benefits of the Naval Reserve is that it is flexible. And I'll kind of tell you about my own career to demonstrate that, that I've had so many different levels of involvement throughout my career progression. So when I first joined, I was what I would say was like kind of a typical Naval Reservist student, where I was a full-time university student. I worked here on evenings and weekends during the school year from September to May, and then I did full-time training in the summer. So I had a summer job, part-time job while you're in school, full-time summer job, all in one, best deal, right? And I did that for about four or five years. And then my civilian career started to take off a little bit. I was, like I said, I was received a Juno nomination. I was touring with my civilian band and I did not have time to do Navy training in the summer. And the point I'm getting at is that that's okay. So for about five or six years, I didn't do much Navy stuff, full-time stuff in the summer at all. I did my part-time evenings and weekends from September to May, and I focused on my civilian career for the summer. I didn't do any Navy training for like five or six years, and that's okay. We are flexible, and any full-time training or deployments in the Naval Reserve is voluntary, and I didn't volunteer for a few years, and that's okay, and then I got a full-time contract, and now I've been working full-time for a number of years, so I've had like very distinctly different levels of commitment at different periods in my life, depending on what worked best for me. And I think that's 
the bottom line is that the reserves are flexible and you can have a level of commitment that's going to work best for you at whatever point you are at in your life, whatever your commitments are like, whether you're a full-time student or you have a full-time career or you have additional family demands like having a new baby or whatever it may be in your life, you can adapt your Naval Reserve career to, to fit what kind of point that you're at in, in your life. If you are working full-time, which I am, uh, the parental benefits in the Canadian Armed Forces are fantastic, and especially for fathers because um, we receive the same parental benefits for both the birthing and non-birthing parent. So parental benefits in the Canadian Armed Forces are fantastic. Um, I'm going to be taking six months off, and after my EI, I get a top-up for the Canadian Armed Forces to 93% of my income. So having a baby, getting a six-month holiday, and still getting paid 93% of your paycheck is unbelievable. It almost sounds too good to be true. So there is a fantastic benefit for, from the Canadian Armed Forces for you. That's that's super good. That's amazing. Wow, that's definitely a benefit, especially for the fathers. Um, yeah. As there. a father, like what a deal! I can't even believe it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, let's move on to BMQ, everyone's favorite topic, BMQ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so, an expert now because I just spent the whole summer uh, in Quebec as an instructor. Um, so it was uh, it was a great experience. I learned a lot and. I've got all the most up-to-date information you can have about BMQ because I just did it. Awesome. So were you instructing on full-time courses then for BMQ? Yes. I instructed both BMQ for non-commissioned members and BMOQ, uh, basic training for officers. So I've done both non-commissioned and officer basic training, the full-time residential portion uh, I did for the whole for the whole summer this year. We have modified the way that we deliver basic military qualification um, because when I did it, we didn't have the Naval Reserve program that we have now. We just did the same uh, basic military qualification as the regular force. So it was whatever it was, like 12, 13 weeks when I did it. I think reg force is 10 or 11 weeks now. But anyway, a large chunk of time, um, the all residential. But now we deliver it in modules. So it's one week online which you can do at home and you're paid for completing, which is just like a lot of the classroom stuff that you were talking about. We've taken some of it out of the classroom and put it into online courses um, to reduce the amount of time that you're away from home uh, on the residential portion. Then we have module two, which is done at your local unit. So whatever city you live in, you'll do it at your local division, uh, which is three weeks of training. And that can be done either full-time or part-time. Um, and then we have the module three, which for non-commissioned members is three weeks in length, residential in Valcarche, and for officers is five weeks in length. So they have an extra two weeks for the leadership portion and the extended field phase. So the Naval Reserve basic training is in Valcarche, Quebec. Um, and that's mainly because uh, headquarters for the Naval Reserve is in Quebec City. Um, so we have our own Naval Reserve only uh, basic military qualification camp. Uh, it's called Camp Vimy uh, in Valcarche, Quebec. So that's where I was. So I guess I can tell you about that. I haven't been to St. Jean, but I'll tell you all about Valcarche. Uh, so it's a very large army base, actually. Um, and the Naval Reserve just has a little piece of it uh, that we use for our basic training called Camp Vimy. And I remember, like, it's so funny because a lot of the instructors there, about I'd say about half of them were 
maybe a little bit less than half are full-time basic military qualification instructors. So they're on a contract where that's their main job and they've been doing it for a number of years. So they're more experienced. And then another portion of the, the instructors were like myself, um, did a training course to become an instructor and were just employed for that, for that one summer as like a, a part-time secondary duty to be an instructor. So we learned from them. We, we, we shadowed them and a lot of it I find was drawn from our own personal experiences of when we did basic training. So it's really cool that you have instructors from all across the country who are bringing in kind of their own experiences, their own style, their own take on kind of like what we feel like basic training should be like and what we feel like we can contribute to this environment uh, as an instructor. So that being said, you have, we're trying, of course, we want to have a consistent standard, but there's also a little bit of personal style that goes into it. So I remember uh, one of the instructors that I worked with, one of the full-time instructors on the first day uh, that, that we had recruits coming in, they were coming off, com coming down through the front gate. And before they even set foot on the camp, they were getting, uh, they were getting the gears, um, uh, getting, getting a little bit of high energy uh, motivation from, from the instructors there. So there's, um, it's definitely a high intensity, high energy environment. Um, and the goal is to be able to perform when under stress, right? So we're creating a, a stressful environment that is very demanding, um, but with the goal of being a learning environment where you can learn to perform and execute your duties at a high standard, according to the direction that you've received, even when uh, there's a lot going on um, and, and there's a high stress environment. So for that basic training, um, you guys still have a field portion then, right? Where you'd be doing yes. similar army type things. It's very army type. It's like basic training for Navy and Air Force is like army oriented. We're doing all of the the field stuff. Like we're going and we do two different portions of the field phase. So there's the bivouac where you're setting up your biv, like which is just a basically a string between two trees and then a tarp hanging over it pinned down at the corner. So your tiny, tiny little tent that you sleep in. Um, and then there is the FOB, the forward operating base. So that's more like what you would see on a deployment, a forward operating base. So there are hard shelters in there, but you're, you're out in the field and doing field exercises and going on patrols and all that fun stuff, getting gassed and uh, firing blank ammunition and carrying out uh, different scenarios and things like that. So you do have CAD pad, you just don't wear it very often. Is that right? That's right. That's exactly right. So um, this is actually a little bit of a difference between non-commissioned members and officers. Because remember I said the officers is five weeks and they have an extended field phase. So the officers actually are issued CAD pad, which is the same as the army CAD pad, except all the writing is in black and the rank is in black instead of green. And we have our little anchors on it. So very similar to what the army wears. Um, so officers do get CAD pad because they have a longer field phase. Um, Non-commissioned members are not issued CAD pad. We actually go in the field in our NCDs, which to be honest is not exactly ideal. Uh, this clothing is made to be on a ship, uh, not in the field. So um, it's, it's not the best, like I'm wearing a collared shirt. <laughs> so it's not the best for, you know, uh, stealthily uh, doing a section attack in the woods in my blue shirt, but we're just doing a field phase. And I mentioned this in my, in my basic training videos, 
that the point of basic training is really to learn the basic skills and to learn leadership and decision making and following direction. So that's really what we're focusing on. And even if it's not perfectly realistic in like a tactical way, you know, we're going through the woods in our blue shirts, like that's ridiculous actually, but that's not the point. The point is that we're learning the basic skills and we're learning how to follow direction and we're learning um, like how to act out these scenarios. Um, so uh, yes, we wear Naval combat dress for the field phase for non-commissioned members on basic training. That is funny. I can it see why funny. the other elements <laughs> laugh at you. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you need to know how to swim? That is a super common question. And the answer is yes and no. Um, the main answer is no, you're not going to be penalized for not knowing how to swim. It is mandatory to attempt the swim test. So there is a swim test. It involves uh, two parts. One part is with clothing and with um, a flotation device um, being able to swim a certain distance, which is, you know, simulating, and you have to like backwards somersault into the water or something like that. Like it's simulating a man overboard where you are going to be wearing a, a flotation device, but you still have to be able to get yourself across the pool. Um, so, and then there is a portion as well, just being able to tread water for a certain period of time and swim a short distance. So there is a swim test, but the thing for everyone to remember is it is not mandatory to pass the swim test in order to graduate the course. So they'll make you try it. They'll make you jump in the pool. If you can't swim, they'll pull you right out of the pool. They'll mark that you didn't pass and you're going to graduate the course successfully and go on to your home unit and continue with your career. So um, you'll be encouraged throughout your career and maybe provided with some remedial training to learn how to swim, but it's not going to prevent you from being successful on your basic military qualification. That's the important thing to remember. Okay, great. That's really great to know. Um, that was a question I actually saw in the Facebook group a couple of days ago. And someone answered the less formal version of what you just said, basically, which was like, you have to jump in, but you don't have to pass. So that's, yeah, that was a much <laughs> faster and simpler way of saying everything I just said. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that was actually true. That, is, well. that is a correct answer. <laughs> So when you set up the course, what kind of things are you trying to accomplish from basic military qualification? Um, like what kind of objectives and components do you think about including when you're meeting with the instructors? Yeah, so there's there's a wide range and we have like a very specific list of performance objectives that the recruits need to accomplish, um, such as, you know, passing their weapons handling test and successfully operating the weapon with live ammunition on the range. Um, doing the gas hut, being able to, to put their gas mask on and being able to successfully pass that performance objective. Uh, they're marching, being able to pass their drill exam. Um, so there's like a very specific list of, of performance objectives that they're being evaluated on. But the other part of it is just being able to maintain kind of the, the military lifestyle, being able to keep track of all of your equipment and uniform, be able to meet your timings, to show up on time with everything you need, uh, with your uniform in good condition, ready for inspection, um, and meeting all your timings on a very demanding schedule throughout the day with little sleep, constant stress. Um, so it's being able to, you gotta achieve these evaluated performance objectives where at the same time, taking care of yourself, your equipment, your schedule and being able to kind of maintain um, 
the what are the expectations of living in a in a military environment. And what do you think are kind of the most shocking factors that you see new recruits maybe struggle with or find challenging about basic? Ooh, good question. Probably just just the high and the intense timings that you need to meet. Everything has to be done quickly and efficiently. Um, so like right from, like I said, the second that they come in the front gate, it's, you know, you're going to get in line, you're going to report, you're going to get your kit inspected, you're going to, like, on the very first day, people were already having some negative outcomes because they had forgotten items that they were packing. And I do have a great what to pack for basic military qualification video. So if you watch that one, you'll be okay. But people were forgetting things. Um, they find out right away that there's consequences to not um, meeting the standard that is expected. And, you know, you're going to have to correct those, those actions pretty quickly if you want to be successful. And in your opinion, from what you've seen, are there certain kind of characteristics of people who do really well, like above average and basic? Well, you know, the, the most important thing is to be adaptable and, and to be able to, to kind of adapt to the environment that you're in, the situation that you're in. And we have a very firm but fair uh, instructional style. So when people are getting yelled at it's it's not it's not to demean people or put them down it's to be able to correct an action um so that it can be improved on right we're we're trying to give positive feedback uh just in kind of a high energy and and demanding way so the most important thing is to to take the information that's given to you and to try to to correct errors and meet the expectations because nobody's going to get it right on the first try and we don't expect you to get it right on the first try so don't take it personally just work to improve adapt to the situation that you're in and you really do as an instructor see the improvement as the course goes on you know in the first couple of days when it's 0500 wakey wakey and being formed up for inspection at 0530 People are going to be late. People are going to be missing items they're supposed to have. People are going to have things wrong with their uniform. There's just like all kinds of stuff that's wrong and they're going to hear about it. And by week two, week three, it's just constantly improving. And next thing you know, I walk out of my instructor tent, check in my watch right on time. Everybody's lined up. All the lines are straight. All the boots are shiny. All the shirts are ironed. Everybody has all the equipment they need all the weapons are clean, everything's looking good. So it really, you really do see that improvement. And, you know, it's a very high um, percentage of, of success. So um, our recruits, the best advice is just to, just to go with the flow. Don't take it personally, take the advice that you're given and work to improve throughout the course and you'll be successful. For sure. And definitely, um make the realization that a lot of this is mental as well and not just physical. I think that's one thing that people should kind of expect is the, the mental side of demand. Because for me, when I first joined the army reserve, um, I found that it was a lot of mental tiring, like fatigue. Remember one time I actually like fell asleep standing up because <laughs> I was so tired. So, yeah, just, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. So just go with the flow. Like he's saying, like, don't take it personally. It's okay. At the end of the day, like they're trying to make you better even if they are using high energy methods to do so. Yeah. <laughs> How does it feel as an instructor to see kind of like a cohort of people go from day one all the way to the end of the course and see that improvement? 
This was my first time teaching the Mod 3, the residential portion in Quebec. So I was really getting a lot of nostalgia. I was getting a lot of, because um, I had a good, great experience on my base military qualification in 2005. Um, so I was reminded of that and seeing my recruits succeed reminded me of going through my basic training and my graduation. So I, I found it really rewarding um, and I really enjoyed my time uh, with the recruits. All right. Now, I think you mentioned at the beginning that you originally joined as a musician. That's right. That was very interesting and unique. And I would like to dive a bit more into that. So for why, first of all, why did you join as a musician? If you don't mind answering that. Of course, I'd love to. I, I have a whole, I've probably said this five times in this interview, I have a whole video about it, uh, why I joined the Naval Reserve. Uh, so I'll try to tell a condensed version of the story now. I played in a high school band, middle school band, all the way through. I was big into music. And it was actually one of the parents of another student uh, that I was in band class with was in the Naval Reserve. Um, so, he, you know, high school band concerts, I was playing trumpet, lead trumpet in the jazz band, playing solos or whatever. And uh, he approached me after, you know, after a band concert. Um, hey, James, sound great on that trumpet there. You should come check out the Navy band. You know, and when I was 18, it wasn't exactly... Uh, something that I had ever considered in my life, uh, working in the military. Uh, so to me, it was a little bit out of left field. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. But then once you graduate high school, like I went to university for engineering. I didn't go to university for music initially. So pretty shortly after graduating, I really missed playing music, right? Like when you're in school band, you're playing your instrument almost every day from like grade six to grade 12. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're not. So I missed it. It seemed like a good opportunity. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe my friend's dad in the parking lot after the high school band concert isn't so crazy. Let's, let's check this out. So that was it. And I just, I, I got the information and I came here to HMCS Chippewa and like first day walking in, I loved it because it was very familiar to me. I think it's an easier transition as a musician. I mean, it's very welcoming, I think to everyone, but especially as a musician, I walked in the door and sat down and it, it just feels like a little bit a higher level, more challenging, but kind of felt like high school band class. It's like, it was a familiar environment. I know what I'm doing here. I know how to read the music. I can do this job. This is great. So uh, it was a really great fit uh, right off the bat. So I actually worked as a professional musician outside of the military as well, my civilian occupation. And in 2014, I was nominated for a Juno Award for an album that I recorded on. So I used a lot of my civilian experience actually in my military career. I had you know, some connections from music festivals or music venues in the city. And I was able to kind of use my military experience to help my civilian career and use my civilian career to help my military job. Uh, so it was a really, really great fit. And another thing as I progressed that kind of was the, the progression that got me into recruiting was that I like playing in a really a good band and I wanted to keep growing the band and, and having some uh, talented new members joining, right? Just like I did. And I also wanted to share the experience that I had um, that, you know, I was 18 and I never would have heard about this band otherwise, but, you know, I had the parent uh, and tell me about the Naval Reserve Band. And I thought, you know, not every kid is going to have a parent of another kid in band who's in the Navy, who's going to tell them about it. So why don't I go tell them about it? So I started going to high school bands. I would call up the band teacher and say, hey, can I come and do a presentation? 
and I started doing presentations in high schools for the Naval Reserve Band, uh, which was very successful. There's other people who were just like me who had the same kind of thought process and ended up joining the Naval Reserve Band. So, you know, my chain of command and the unit kind of took note of that and like, hey, look at this guy going, getting all these people joining the band. Maybe he'd be a good recruiter. So that's how I kind of transitioned into a full-time contract and I'm working as a recruiter. Wow, that's really interesting. It's awesome that you kind of paid it forward as well and went back to the different high schools and kind of recruited people because you're right, like not very many people know that this exists. One question that came up in my head while you're talking was just, do you need to be a musician before you join as a musician? Or do you they like train do. you? It, okay. you? Yes, you do. It's one of the very few occupations where you have to have uh, prior experience. You have to pass an audition uh, in order to join as a musician. So the audition isn't like a super high standard, like like to get into the symphony or something like that, because, because we're going to continue to train you on your instrument after you join. But you do have to have a base level. Uh, you can't start from scratch. So basically, if you're in grade 12 graduating and you've played high school band all your life, you're probably going to be about at a level that you can you can pass the audition. But if you're if you're just learning or just starting out, you're going to have to do a little bit of practicing before you can join the band. For other occupations, all, most occupations, you do not have to have prior experience, even, for example, port inspection diver. Um, it is a benefit to have civilian diving experience, but it's not mandatory. You will be trained from square one. Right. And um, you kind of already touched on it, but what were kind of the, the greatest highlights of your time as a musician or like, why did you enjoy it so much? Well, yeah, like I said, it was a good fit. It was very familiar to me. Uh, it was a very, very good compliment to my civilian career. I really enjoy performing. Uh, you know, it's a it's a really, really rewarding job uh, to be able to to make music and to work with people who are very like minded um, musicians really all of musicians I work really, really enjoy what they do. And it's one of those things where for musicians especially, but I think for some other occupations too, one of the things that's attractive about the Naval Reserve is that it's enjoyable and that it might be something different from what you do in your civilian career. So if you have a nine to five job, um, whatever it may be, if on Tuesday nights you come down to Chippewa and you do some weapons training, you take the boats out on the river on the weekend, uh, you get a weekend where you're going to fly to Victoria to do some some Navy training like you're getting paid, but it's also fun, you know, so I also had a lot of fun uh, throughout my career um, as uh, working in the, in the Naval Reserve part time. So I'm working full time now and I enjoy that very much. It's a great career, but I also, you know, really, really have good memories of all the years that I work part time because it, it's really a cool complement to any career. And I'm assuming that you also performed in like Remembrance Day ceremonies as well. Yes, of course. So I, I'm a trumpet player. So we are very in demand um, uh, for ceremonial functions. So yes, I we do the Remembrance Day ceremony and also the Battle of the Atlantic ceremony, which is the first Sunday in May commemorating um, the Battle of the Atlantic in the Second World War. Um, and also I get asked a lot to perform the ceremonial bugling for you know high schools or um, other people's remembrance day ceremonies I don't really think of it but it becomes an endurance 
feet when you're doing long parades. Like we'll often do parades. Like a couple of years ago, I, we did the uh, Pride Parade in Toronto. Like that's a long parade. You're marching and playing for a long time. And, uh, you know, just walking for whatever 5K or 8K or however long the parade route is wouldn't be a big deal. But when you're breathing to blow into an instrument, like, yeah, it, it's a little bit of endurance that goes into it. Wow, that's so impressive, actually. <laughs> um, and also, when we were talking offline, you mentioned that you give Naval Reserve tours. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. And is that open to the public? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're open to the public, um, generally not for walk-ins. Like in the past, we were, but as you know, and as everyone knows that COVID-19 kind of changed policies on things like that a little bit. So we're back to being open again, but in general, it's by appointment. So um, people can contact me, people, applicants or people who are considering applying can call or email and ask about tours. And then usually we'll have scheduled tour dates. I'll usually just do it like once or twice a month uh, rather than just walk-ins. We'll have a couple of dates per month picked and then you can book, book a spot for, for a Naval Reserve tour. Okay, awesome. And this one's a little bit off topic, but I was just wondering, what are your dress uniforms look like? Like your different levels of dress? Because I see that you have like a hat in the background. Oh, yeah. You guys have berets, sir. (laughs) We have uh, a lot of different orders of dress. And I actually did um, an orders of dress uh, photo shoot to make um, like diagrams to to give to all of our uh, new recruits. Um, But in general, we have like two or three main things that we are. This is called naval compact dress and cds and this is like would be equivalent to your daily dress uh in the army being cad pat so this is what we wear on a ship and you can take the jacket off you got the blue shirt underneath uh and there's also new uniforms coming out as well shortly for the navy which is all black but we'll get into that when it comes uh and then we have the slang is salt and peppers which is your white short sleeve shirt um and black pants and the peak cap, which is the one that you see hanging here, um, which can also be worn with beret. And then you have the long sleeve white shirt, which goes under the suit jacket for when you're wearing your number ones, which is with the blazer. And then in the Navy, we also have our whites. So we have white pants and white shoes. So you can be all white. And that's what we wear a lot for summer parades in the marching band. So that's kind of our summer outfit, like the all Navy whites with the white hat, white shirt, white pants, white shoes, white belt, everything white. it's hard to keep clean when you're marching outside in all different weather conditions all summer, uh, but uh, uh, that's a pretty fun uniform to wear too. And then we have the high collar whites, which is a white suit jacket with, with a high collar, no tie. So there's a ton of different orders of dress. So I can send you some photos, which uh, maybe you can put up uh, when you're editing. <laughs> okay, that'd be awesome. What's it actually like to be on a ship in the middle of the water? <laughs> well, um, that's a good question, and I'm going to out myself a little bit here. I have been in the Navy for 17 years, and I've never been on a deployment on a ship in the ocean. Wow, uh, okay, so, okay. Um, that is the reality of the different occupations, right? So I did years as a musician, and now I'm working uh, in human resources as, as a recruiter and military career counselor. So I have been to both Halifax and Esquimalt many times and done training on the coast, you know, alongside, um, but not on a deployment uh, out on the ocean. Um, 
actually there is a bit of a funny story well it's not funny it's sad um that we had a couple of musicians here at hmcs Chippewa who actually got selected to go on a real deployment on a forget i think it was op projection um and they were going to go on like a diplomatic mission on a ship where they were going to perform as as musicians to perform at the different ports uh that the ship was going on on its deployment and that was very unique and the first time in my career and first time that anyone that I still work with has heard of where they're sending musicians on deployment on a ship. It was like this amazing um, accomplishment. It was super exciting. And they got right to the point where they'd actually shipped their instruments to the coast and they were flying to Esquimalt um, to go, oh, it wasn't on a, on a frigate, actually, it was on one of the supply ships. Anyway, the ship that they were going on had an accident, had a collision right before the deployment and it was canceled and they didn't get to go so the one opportunity that we had for musicians to go actually on ship on a deployment uh didn't work out it was very sad so uh no musicians generally don't go on deployment on ship at sea interesting okay yeah i was just wondering because that's uh hmm. i guess that does make sense though because why would you need to go on a ship i suppose as well I, I guess I thought maybe because I've seen like American movies and stuff where they have musicians who walk around like to boost morale or something I don't oh, know well we have I have been on ships on oh coast, right just okay. not on a deployment at sea and we actually have done that like I have we've done that quite a bit um a good example is Rendezvous Naval in Quebec City where it's a it's a naval celebration uh where our allies uh will come and we host them so one of our jobs was to be on the jetty as the ships came in from all the different countries around the world who were participating in the event and we played the national anthem for all the countries as the ships came in so we learned a bunch of different national anthems and we got to perform for them a couple of them actually invited us to do tours of their ships so like i've had a stein of beer on the helicopter pad of, of, a, of a german frigate so I've, <laughs> done, I've done a pretty couple of pretty cool things um on a ship before, like I said, I just haven't been deployed um, on ship yet. Right. And what would be your coolest experience, you think, as someone who's in the Navy up to this point? Coolest experience? You know, I've done a lot of different things. That A lot of the performances with the band have, have been amazing, marching in some of the biggest parades in the country. Um, you know, like uh, like the Calgary Stampede or like Pride Day in Toronto. What an amazing experience uh, marching uh, in that parade. Um, St. Patrick's Day in Montreal. So the musician experience is amazing playing these concerts and performing. Rendezvous Naval, like the story I just told, performing national anthems for all different nations as they're coming to visit Canada. Um, but as far as like coolness goes, I one of my favorite things to do is to work with the dive team and to do I do some video production for them uh, for their dive exercises, especially the ice dives. So I have some of the ice dive videos on my channel going out to West Hawk Lake, which is really cool because it's a it's a crater lake. So it was created by like a meteor or a comet or whatever. I think not a comet meteor hitting hitting the earth. And like it's a really, really deep lake. Uh, like unusually deep for an inland lake uh, so we do dive training there so we go out in the winter like i said set up tents with heaters and things and then cut a hole in the ice and go diving under the water i don't go into the water but i send them down there with gopros and i film them on the surface going in and out and i get to like live and work with them uh for the duration of the exercises uh and i really love working with the dive team so that's one of the coolest things 
uh, I can think of that I've done. That is very, very cool. One thing I did see somewhere was that you went to an NHL game. Yes. Can you tell I've us more about that? Of, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So um, and I'm sure you've seen other cities across Canada too. Um, professional sports is generally very supportive of the armed forces. So we do have military appreciation night. Uh, with the Winnipeg Jets here, the NHL, and also the, in the CFL, we have the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, once per year. So I've attended a number of those. And last year at the Military Appreciation Night, I vlogged the experience and put it on my YouTube channel. So I got a, a video of a Military Appreciation Night. And then this year, uh, they came out, they had a contest. They had a contest for who was going to get to drop the puck at the military appreciation night and the contest was who is the biggest jets super fan and we had to provide uh, examples they said photos or videos of you being a fan and write like a little essay about why you're a great jets fan and i was like photo or video i have this whole vlog i did last year so i submitted my vlog i submitted some photos and i wrote a great essay about i have some pretty funny stories about my my family history uh um going to my first Jets game with my dad when I was a kid. And actually in 1996, uh, the Winnipeg Jets um, were sold and left Winnipeg. So we didn't have an NHL team. So in their last season in the playoffs, um, they played against the Detroit Red Wings. And my mom and dad went to the games, uh, my mom in her wedding dress and my dad in a white tuxedo. <laughs> because in Winnipeg, we have we called the whiteout and we were everyone in the whole entire audience would wear all white while the Jets wore their white jerseys because we're a winter, wintry city, winter peg, right? So um, I told those stories, I told all these stories of being a Jets fan, and I had the great video from my vlog from last year. So I won the contest uh, for being the biggest Jets fan, and I got to drop the puck at the at the Jets game for Canadian Armed Forces night this year. So that was a really cool experience. Got to shake some hands with some of the players. I uh, got to drop the puck. Uh, it was fantastic, super cool experience. That sounds super, super fun. Um, how many people get to go to those? Like, even if you're not dropping the puck from your unit? Um, lots. So usually the Jets team will, will give a handful of tickets to all of the different uh, armed forces, establishments, Army, Navy, Air Force in the city. Uh, but the majority of the tickets come from season ticket holders. So they basically send out an advertisement to all their season ticket holders saying military appreciation night is coming up. If you would like to uh, donate your tickets to the Canadian Armed Forces, you can do so. And lots of people do. So we, they, however many people have given up their seats for forces members, they, they send out the tickets to the, to the units. And uh, usually we have, uh, this year, I think we had about 40 or 50 members that were able to get tickets and to go to the game. So very very generous season ticket holders who are uh, giving up their seats so military members can can get to support their nhl team really cool that's super nice so you've been in the military for 17 years now yes. um what do you see your future as in the military do you have any aspirations for your career um do you think you're going to stay another 17 years or what's that looking like that's a great question and i'm going to answer that in a long-winded way, as I've done throughout this interview. So um, what comes next? Like I said, I'm going on six months of parental leave, uh, which is fantastic. And when I come back, I've got about a year left in my current contract. And after that, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's really cool to know that 
I have a lot of different options. So I could potentially try to get another full-time contract for three years. I could potentially go back to part-time. I could go back to class A, working on just the evenings and weekends and pursue my civilian career as my, a musician or back, it may be something more related to recruiting than I've done in the military, but on the civilian side. What's most exciting for me is, is working on this YouTube channel and doing public affairs for the military in the last two years. I've really got into uh, video production and public affairs, which I really, really enjoy. So, you know, getting a job uh, either in the military or outside the military in the public affairs and video production is something that I'm thinking about. So there's just a lot of different options on the table. And really the point is that the Naval Reserves and the reserves in general is flexible and you can kind of engage with and make a commitment, uh, like I said, at whatever's gonna work best for you in your life, where you're at, in your career, um, and you can make it work for you. And just to wrap up, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you'd like to mention or maybe shout anything out? You can shout out your YouTube again if you want, anything you want. Um, I will, yeah, great question. Uh, I, uh, it is, this year is the centennial of the Naval Reserve and of HMCS Chippewa. So HMCS Chippewa was founded in 1923. Um, so we have a lot of um, activities and events going on celebrating our centennial this year. And right now I'm actually working on a documentary project where I have been uh, interviewing uh, veterans, former members of HMCS Chippewa, current members, um, I'm doing a tour of the Naval Museum of Manitoba. So I'm putting together a great uh, documentary commemorating 100 years of service of the, the Naval Reserve uh, here in Manitoba. So keep your eye out for that. I'm excited uh, to share that with everyone. Once it's done, I'm like trying to crank out the rest of these interviews. I've only got a couple left uh, before the baby comes. So hopefully I can get it done. Um, and then um, just check out Prairie Sailor uh, YouTube channel. So uh, I have all kinds of information about recruiting, application process, life in the Naval Reserve, all the stuff we've talked about today, going into more detail, um, sharing some of my own experiences in my life, my career as a musician, balancing your military career with your civilian career, um, all the different benefits that we have, just all kinds of stuff that you might be interested in. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming on today, Petty Officer Second Class Fraser. You guys should definitely check out his YouTube channel. Videos are great. I've watched quite a few of them for sure. And they're very entertaining as well. And um, I hope you all have a great day and as well with you. All right. Thanks for having me, Kyra. Thank you.